I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When I came out to my sister, her first thing she said was, was it because we made you be Ken when we played Barbies? <laughs> like, I was dying to play Ken. But You're like, yes. made me. Yeah. yeah. But also, yes, that's what made me gay. For sure. I was one of those no Ken, just two naked Barbies. Well, you were advanced. <laughs> I'm ducking out, you're ducking out. Let's dike out together, see what it's all about. Diking out, diking out, diking out, diking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that is surviving the quarantine with a steady diet of queer content and gaining five pounds. I'm Carolyn Bergier. And I'm Melody Kamali, and I've gained six pounds. And today we are diking out with a very special guest about growing up gay. She is a comedian, writer, and actor who performs all around the world, host of the LGBTQ interview podcast Query, and maybe you've seen her on Brooklyn Nine-Nine or starring in Take My Wife on Stars. And now you can read all about her journey from little gay kid to big gay adult in her new memoir, Save Yourself. It's the one and only Cameron Esposito. Welcome to the pod. Hi, thank you. That is, I guess that is an accurate intro. (laughs) I sound impressive when you talk about it. I was like all over the world. And then I was like, actually, I think that's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. I really needed that boost today. Uh, We left out circus ringleader too, though. (laughs) Should we go back? Yeah, I was a ringmaster back in the day. That's true, too. There were 
There were too many things. We had to make some cuts. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Uh, so sorry that you had to postpone your book tour because usually this would be like a big, exciting time. And now it's probably a very hard bummer of a confusing time. Yeah. I mean, this is all happening, you know, in so many different ways for so many people. I'll say for me, I had to cancel the book tour and then also other upcoming tour dates, like as, as far out as, well, I don't really have anything that I know is for sure confirmed in the schedule because we just don't know how long this is going to last. Yeah. And I've never been in a situation where I didn't know where my income was going to come from. Like that just is, even when I was like early in my career as an artist, I had like day jobs or I had set it up so that my rent was like four and a half dollars because I knew I wasn't going to be bringing any money in. So I think this is just a really strange time on that front. And then, you know, in my household, my, my girlfriend is currently sick and has the symptoms and we're waiting for test results after going to urgent care in the ER. So I just feel a little delirious overall. Yeah. I, I'm going to do my very best (laughs) to be fully the dykiest. Um, but I am delirious. I'm fully delirious at this point. Uh, I, I mean, we're with you. I have the coronavirus uh, not confirmed with tests because you can't get tested in New York. Uh, you can't really get into a hospital unless your your lips are turning blue. But I've been sick for like over a week now. And I yesterday realized I lost my sense of smell. Uh, so that kind of confirmed it for me that this isn't just a weird sickness. It actually is coronavirus, but it's like both trippy physically and mentally with everything going on. Like I've never had something that's where I feel like I can't tell if I'm having symptoms or if I'm paranoid (laughs) and, and then add like the quarantine on top of it and like not performing. It's how are you working right now? How am I working? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm coming out the other, the other end of it. My breathing is starting to get better. When we scheduled this, I was like, man, I hope I'm doing better by Monday because I was like gasping for air on the phone call with my doctor. (laughs) Wow. I'm getting sick, but I really think it's just stress induced. (laughs) I truly (laughs) think my anxiety is making me sick, but there's no way to really know. Yeah. So are are you isolated from your girlfriend right now or is it just like, yes. okay, wow. Yeah, no, I mean like it was like a real serious, so she's, you know, immunosuppressed and has like 97 doctors that she works with to make sure that she's okay. It was recently pointed out to me by her that I have zero doctors, um, <laughs> you know, so uh, she had been feeling not great for a couple weeks and then had some chest pains and her doctor suggested we go to urgent care. And then from urgent care, she was like transported in an ambulance and everything. It was like that, you know, we didn't call like the doctors called. Um, and she like went into the COVID ward. Shit. Then I went back. She was actually released like later that night. But that's because they said for like her condition at the time, safer to be at home than to be hospitalized. Yeah. But she's like, you know, she's been sleeping for days yeah. at this point. We're lucky enough to have two bedrooms, but we do only have one bathroom, mm. which when the doctor heard that at the ER Katie said the doctor put her head into her hands like like fate like like face mask into the hands to be like well fuck which is always a good sign when the doctor is overwhelmed only one of you gets to poop down yeah I mean it's just like we're doing our best so you know we're staying away from each other and I'm cleaning all the stuff but it's a weird one 
And I know there's a lot of people in this situation. Yeah. Um, and then there's also a lot of people who are in the situation that I was in, you know, just for five hours of like having to drop someone off because you can't go in. Right. Yeah. So then they, they, they were also like, do not call Yeah. the hospital. No one will pick up. Just FaceTime her later. Yeah. Uh, like that's nuts. It, I just, this, you know, this is such a wild time. It's so crazy. I know my wife and I, like the anxiety was like sky high when we first realized that that was probably what was going on. And we were trying to come up with a plan because we're like in, in New York, they're not even, you can't get in to the hospital. <laughs> they're just totally all full. So like what, what happens if I get dropped off and then she can't hear from me for, for hours. But thankfully my breathing problems stayed kind of leveled and, and didn't get worse. So, but anyway, yeah, that must be weird to, because obviously that kind of rises to the top of what's on your mind right now, even though this other like huge thing is going on for you in your life. And yeah, that career. happened the day after the book release. Oh, like, wow, the book really? release was on Tuesday and then that happened on Wednesday. I guess my overall question is what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) about all of this? You know, this was just such a wild time. Yeah, there's no answer, but who the fuck knows right now? It sounds like coronavirus is very homophobic, I think. (sighs) I know a lot of queer people with symptoms, you know. (laughs) I don't know. Y'all, I think it's it's also affecting straight folks. I know that we want, I know we want to... (laughs) Can't we make everything you know, about our us? own stories? I know. Yeah, like I, I like I absolutely you know want to center queerness, but I think it is. I've heard it's affecting. It might be affecting everybody as well. I, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't seen a straight person in days. I just <laughs> I see them on TV. I think they still exist. Uh, <laughs> but actually, that's one thing that's been really funny. I don't know if this has been striking y'all, but even before things were like more escalated, Katie and I were watching TV together, and like the commercials. We were watching like the version of Hulu where there's commercials. The commercials would be like people, whatever, sharing a Michelob Ultra. I don't even know what commercials are for. <laughs> and everything looked like a nightmare. Oh, yeah. Like, like every every commercial was like, get away from her. Like she's sick. You know, like you can't. Why are you yeah. all touch? Like everybody's hugging and like sharing pasta. But yeah, on the two ends of one piece of spaghetti, like Lady in the Tramp. Like everything is so heightened right now. Yeah. That. It just feels like the depictions of a different yeah. version of life. A whole new reality. It just feels like, how dare you, you know, <laughs> do this to me? Yeah, yeah. I fully cried Show from a car commercial last night <laughs> that <laughs> was quickly produced to make us feel okay. Like, we will drop off the car to you. We care, you know. But there are still our oh commercials from, you know, worlds ago, like last week, <laughs> that they really need from to From the before cut. times. Yeah. <laughs> it's very jarring. Yeah, I hear you. But also don't watch any programming that feels like this either, because that's also a problem. I watched Contagion. This was a mistake that I made. But also Contagion is actually filmed, part of it is actually filmed in my hometown. Like there's a part where Matt Damon is like driving through a small town that is on fire (laughs) and like being different stores are being like ransacked and that is my hometown of western springs illinois so just if you needed to feel like extra panicked (laughs) the idyllic hometown we read about in your book (laughs) yeah that's right also i noticed when you lean back so you melody you have a um, oh yeah chicago flag sweatshirt yeah so interestingly enough i started comedy in chicago 
I started, I think, the year that you were gearing up to leave. I was very aware of you. One of the first open mics I went to was the Coles open mic. I saw you kick someone out. So I was like, oh, hell yeah. It's safe. Oh, my God. <laughs> what were they doing? Um, what were they doing? Some that they guy was out? heckling. And then um, you and Adam Burke had to throw him out. And I was like, I like it here. Um, <laughs> I I started comedy and I signed up for your femcom class. Feminine Comique is a stand-up class Cameron started in Chicago for women to just to create space for women to start writing jokes and practice workshopping jokes for each other. I really wanted to take the class taught by you and I had to leave town. And I remember I emailed you and you said, it'd, it'd be better. You don't want to miss any classes because there's so few of them. You should sign up for the next class. And I did. And then you had just moved to LA. <laughs> so I taught, wow. I took Kelsey yeah. Huff's first class that she taught at the Lincoln Lodge. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Though. I mean, Kelsey was already, you know, working professionally and then went through the class at that level and then started teaching. And then now Alex Cuman. Alex is there teaching and I think I think it was already hundreds but now it's like oh hundreds it's a whole thing of women wow have taken that class because Alex Cuman um, was my roommate in Chicago too so I I got to see her first inherit the class and just like really run with it and I think she's doing yeah. like such a great job the graduation classes are packed out and so much fun it's a really great energy and I still ask her for the like worksheets that she uses to teach them just to still help oh, with my so current great. joke writing like seven years later it's still really helpful like the joke web god that's amazing <laughs> yeah i mean that must have been started like that must have been 10 years ago and also cole's open mic which you were just talking about is you know this dive bar open mic that used to that still does get this like really large crowd of yeah. audience members which is atypical for an open mic for anybody that might be listening that is not like <laughs> yeah. so versed it's actually like usually when an open mic starts then people leave right that's like more the traditional yeah. vibe that still runs too and then they just had their 10-year anniversary yeah i feel i am really proud that there's still so much happening in chicago that continues to be run by awesome people that was a part of my time there too yeah you i really think especially with cole's helped kind of paved the way for more alt comedy. Um, I remember when I started, the only chance I got to really see a bunch of women comics workout material was at a show called Ha Ha Hotties at the Edge Comedy. You know, it was very oh my God. <laughs> clubby. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, Coles is just <laughs> a magical. Yes. You remember <laughs> that. Course. I still have a piece of paper. Ever Maynard was one of the first people who encouraged me to start comedy. And I still have the piece of paper. She wrote Ha Ha Hotties and the like address on it. And that's the first <laughs> show oh I went God. to I feel like maybe you were on it. I remember Mo Welch was on it she was on it and it was really just like three or four girls who did comedy in Chicago and now I really think because of Feminine Comique and especially Coles there are so many girls doing a lot of comedy not just stand-up like very experimental comedy yeah kind of started with yeah. you because before that it was not really the case I got to start at an interesting time as it started to make that shift well I mean I really appreciate you saying that I I you know, this is in the book too, which is called Save Yourself, which is the name of a book that I am selling right now. Yes. Like, I just mean, how is that even? <laughs> like, I didn't, you don't name a book like the day that it comes out, like 18 months yeah. ago slash two years ago, I like settled on the, the title Save Yourself. And then it was released in the middle of a global pandemic. I know. That's going to be the tagline of coronavirus. Save yourself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, I just, it's beyond. Um, 
So like I started an improv and when I started an, an improv, I was in Boston and it was all this like very sort of like egg heady version of comedy. You know, Boston has more students per capita than any other city in the world. Yeah. So it's like. I went to Boston University, so I kind of know the Boston <laughs> college scene pretty well. Yeah, I mean, BC, but then afterwards, I, I worked at Improv Boston yeah. and Improv Asylum. Did you ever go to those places? I didn't. I wasn't doing comedy when I was in school. They're like the two comedy theaters there, and they're populated by folks that, like, during the day work at underground labs at MIT. You know, like, that's the vibe of, of comedy there. Everybody's, like, doing long-form impressions of Robert Frost or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's just like beyond dorks. Um, yeah, dorks. So then like I went, I went to Chicago and it's like, I saw, you know, maybe what is a little bit more representative of what comedy is and then, and then switched to stand up And it's like, it was, it was super fratty and super white and super dudey. And, um, the women that were doing stand up were often the girlfriends of the guys who were doing stand-up. So even if yeah. they were good, because they were dating within the community, you know, that's how they were received. Mm-hmm. In, in my generation, I was the only, like, lesbian that was, or queer person that is on the, that was raised female, that was involved at all. There was one gay dude named Bill Cruz. Oh, my God. And pe- people just him. didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> like, they, they were literally, like... Wait, but when like when a when a woman would enter the scene, it would be like this sort of shark swarm to like figure out who would get to date her or fuck her. And I mean, I'm not saying that's great or that those women shouldn't have been taken seriously. It just was like I was a different thing. Yeah. And I think having that experience be so lonely, it just made me realize that like there actually are a ton more people that could join me in this and seeing if it was possible to include them. Yeah. For that reason, I had a no comedians rule. I'm now dating a female comedian from Chicago, actually. But um, I for the <laughs> longest time for I was like, at least go five years because you cannot be taken seriously. And you did feel the sharks when you'd go to the open mics kind of circulating around the new blood. <laughs> and I remember reading in your book, too, like you couldn't be attractive as a female comic. It's so crazy how that's changed moving from Chicago, where I started. You know, we were just wearing baggy T-shirts at first and just really trying to mask the fact that we were women. We're cut to now in Brooklyn. It's like, if you're not wearing a crop top on stage, are you even a stand-up comic? I feel like it's changed yeah, It's a big so hot much. girl comedy scene like, here. You, yeah, very, very prevalent in hot girl comedy. So a big shift. That's really funny. But I mean, I, I think that the difference is more that like we have to pick, you know, what we're doing. Like, because there have always been like people that were like I'm wearing heels on stage. That's yeah. true. Even yeah. John Rivers yeah. was like fancy or whatever. So I think it's like some of it is just that there's any pressure to decide who we are. Yeah. Like this is the outfit that I wear on stage and it like says a lot about me. That is different for like the straight cis dude yeah. who's just like a placeholder for his jokes. Yeah. Like his body is not <laughs> you know, interpreted as anything. Yeah. So with the book, what made you want to write a memoir at at this point in your life? Um, Somebody asked me to. Yeah. (laughs) Money. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I was, I was, I used to write a column for the AV club about doing stand-up. And then I was also, at the time that I was writing a column, I was making a web series with like early days BuzzFeed. Like, I don't think they had like employees yet. Yeah. It was like a hobby or whatever yeah (laughs) um exposure yeah exactly I was making this web series called ask a lesbian 
And those two things together, like the writing. But at the time, I mean, this Ask a Lesbian video series, like, I can't tell you how weirdly impactful that was. Yeah. People would write in questions and then I would like answer them and they made these like short pithy videos and kind of nobody was doing that yet. Like the yeah. ask a the ask a format was created with that thing and then BuzzFeed did it like across all their channels and stuff. But anyway, like I got I used to get recognized at like Disney land from like the ask a lesbian series you know what i mean it, it's just like very funny but yeah grand central publishing my, my publisher reached out and asked if i wanted to write a book this was in 2015 oh, okay. and y'all i finished it <laughs> <laughs> yeah when reading it you know earlier this year i read uh tegan and sarah's memoir and one of the things i'm always impressed at is man how do you remember all these things from like, <laughs> like writing and things in like such detail? I'm like, oh yeah, I can picture like just what this was like or what she must have been feeling. And then I'm like, I don't think I can describe things in my own life that way. That's <laughs> like, where, where do you even start the process for that? Like, did you have to kind of like run the way that you remembered things by other people just to be like, I'm not crazy, right? Like this actually happened in my youth. <laughs> you know, one thing that I did was started with photos. So like looked through a bunch of photos. And then I also did not realize this, but I kept like every love note anybody ever gave me, like lots of notes that were passed to me in high school, cards and like ticket stubs from college it's not like I have like boxes and boxes of this stuff but I have like maybe two like large boxes that when I opened them I was like oh my god this is like everything yeah and that was really helpful I also went back and read old emails <laughs> and I asked some folks who were characters in the book my two of my um, ex-girlfriends are characters in the book and I asked them if they had any like emails from that time frame but I mean maybe some of this is like why I should be a stand-up comic, but I do remember things that vividly. Yeah. Not necessarily all the details between the moments, but like individual moments. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Do you not? Do you not remember like, cause there's like, there's like the moment that I was called fat, you know, in front of my friends when yes. I was a little kid. There's like the Halloween costumes that I had. There's, you know, these moments in high school, like it's not like everything is vivid, but I feel like it's almost like a it's like a board game or something where it's like this property, this property, this property, this property. I can really trace the time frame. Is that not true for you? <laughs> I, I would say it's it's true for me. But then there are like some things like conversations or maybe just now that I'm older, I gaslight myself about things because I'm like, I like, did this happen the way I remember it? Or like, I'll find myself like telling a story and maybe it's like a little bit different than I told in the past. And then I start questioning of like, is that what really happened? I don't know. Mm. Or like, and, and then when I think about my relationships and past relationships and your book does this and also Tegan and Sarah's book of like, kind of revisiting the relationships I had in high school and realizing that like maybe what it was for me like could have been a completely different experience for the other person but we just when you're a teenager and you're going through that stuff you're not having these like conversations like my first girlfriend we never really talked about being gay we never talked about the fact that like oh we're two women kissing and in a relationship and hooking up. And I don't 
think we ever really said the word lesbian in front of each other. Mm. So I'm like, what it was to me, like maybe it was something very different for her. Like who, who's to know? Yeah. I mean, I also just happened to know just to take a little bit of pressure off you because I'm talking about these moments standing up high school, the book that you're talking about that Tegan and Sarah wrote is yeah. like un- incredibly detailed. And I, and I just happen to know, cause I know the Quinn sisters that they went through like an enormous amount of source material, including like videos and tapes at the time. And then they also are in good touch with all of their high school friends. So they like group thought about all the moments. Yeah. So just to take a little bit of the pressure off of you, okay, that level good. of detail is <laughs> the work of like many other guides. And, you know, again, sort of similar with mine. And I wonder what that will be like for folks who, you know, don't have paper anything. Yeah. Like paper photos, paper photos and paper notes stay with you. You can like bring them right. along to different houses and it's not about like, you know, whatever, making sure your cloud storage can hold the things from 20 years ago. So I very much wonder how that will compare for folks like growing up today. Right. Like how will how will they be able to look at like all the moments in their life? Like text chains, saving right. text chains. <laughs> I know. And the people lose them when they change their phones. It's it's interesting exactly. to think about that because it's like we had such limited like film photography, like fil- film that was developed and taken of us when we were kids. It was enough that we like at one point probably knew all of the pictures of us that existed. And like now that would be impossible. And while I can recall like so many physical photos from when I was younger, like now it's like we take so many pictures and we don't look at them and like only revisit them when like reminders pop up in our social media of what we did three years ago <laughs> or like. Yes. Also, may I just say that that is the re- reminders popping up in your social media as somebody that went through a divorce in the last year. I just have to say, like, if reminders is not trying to get me, then I don't understand why these are so well-timed to every <laughs> emotional, like, down. There's somebody in the, like, Apple algorithm that, like, really wants me to experience pain, is what yeah. I think. They have a real <laughs> knack for stabbing me in the heart just when I'm having a good one. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> Oh, you got me. Oh, you got me. And twist, there's another one. Yeah. Yeah. I I get that with with Google Photos of, um, and especially like when I... when I started dating my my now wife, I'd get memories. It was like, do you want to see what you and your ex-wife were doing three years ago on this day? And my phone would buzz. And then uh, Cecilia would be like, oh, what's that? And I'm like, nothing, just... <laughs> Memories of just a curated album, me with and the music ex. under it that my phone right, made for just me. Just a yeah. video dedicated to me they and my ex wife. <laughs> I know, I know. It's taunting. It's me. the worst. <laughs> All right, well, let, let's get into this topic of being little gay kids, and I like that this is how your your book started because it hits on something I think that that we all know when a lot of us are kids we kind of know we're we're different but we're not sure why and a lot of times there are other things that make us different that we're like oh maybe that's why I feel different than everybody around me cuz you don't really understand quite yet that it's just because you're like this queer kid like for me like I was born in Montreal and my dad was like very French and I thought that that's why I couldn't relate to like anybody 
<laughs> I'm just like, I'm so different. Or like reading about you and your eye patch, you must have been like, this eye makes me so crazy and like <laughs> so different. Yeah, I mean, that stuff is also true. You know, like, well, I mean, right. you know, you having a French dad, that does sound in the, in, you grew up in Montreal. Did you say you grew up in Montreal? No, so I was born so in there, Montreal. So and then born, born in Montreal. But then we moved to the U.S. when I was like six. And then... So people must have been like, what the fuck? Yeah. Absolutely nobody here. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. That's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, having something wrong with your eyeballs is a very specific experience because that's that's so much how we connect with each other is um, through eye contact. Yeah. You know, like when we're meeting people or when we're like trying to read how other people feel. So that definitely did make me sort of a weirdo because I would like sometimes because I was patching it and stuff, it wasn't so obvious if I had the patch off for a while. So then I would just try to like avert my eyes. Like I, like I still, if you look at photos of me, mostly I'm like looking off to the right with my eyes looking this way. It's cause like I learned how to tilt my head a certain way so that my eyes would look like they pointed the same direction. Wow. You know, so anyway, but that, that is part of what I think is like the experiences that are in this book that are beyond queerness. Right. like that many of us, or maybe, maybe even all of us, I don't know, have like that one thing, you know, whatever it is that makes us feel like such a goon. Yeah. But then the queerness specificity is... I think often intersecting with not being able to live up to like gendered expectations. Yeah. And one way where I found that that was really relatable, at least for me, was about Halloween. (laughs) And that, that was such a thing because it's like, oh my God, I can wear whatever I want and look how I want. I remember the first time I saw the movie Mean Girls and Katie Herring shows up at the party dressed like a ghoul. And I was like, oh my God, is the twist going to be that she's actually gay? Because I was like, (laughs) that would be me at the party. I've never tried to be a sexy anything on Halloween. Same. Because Halloween is pride for closeted kids. Right. I I also think that something that we talk about a lot more now is there's also the spectrum of like a non-binary or trans person. Sure. But I think the thing that we see most often like in film or then obviously even in like the shows that are really popular right now is that portrayal of it's like a cis gay man as a young child, like putting on his mother's high heels and like parading around the house in a dress or wearing makeup. Yeah. And you know, the way that then that feeds into like maybe drag culture, the the new acceptance that something like that has. Yeah where that's sort of now the projected queer experience. And I think that we don't see a lot of like young women trying on masculinity. Yeah. Which is also something that why I wanted to like include it in the book. Because like for me, Halloween was like, I was consistently a dude. I was always a dude. I was like, I was like Robin Hood. I was Charlie Chaplin. It was like any opportunity to wear a suit. You know, I played with Ken's, not Barbies. Like because when we're like raised in this binary system, it's like the only thing that would make sense in like why I'm relating to women this way would be if I'm the guy, you know, the sort of like internalized feeling of that. It was funny that you mentioned the Ken dolls because when I came out to my sister, 
when I was in college, I waited and her first thing she said was, was it because we made you be Ken when we played Barbies? <laughs> I, like I was dying to play Ken, but You're like, yes, made me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also, yes, that's what made me gay for sure. I only know how to talk to Barbies. <laughs> and I was one of those no Ken just to naked Barbies. Well, you were advanced. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I obviously related to the not obviously, but the your fat part really got me the being like a chubby kid and using humor to reflect. Um, when Carolyn was talking about how she can't really remember a lot of her childhood for me, it's because I was so bullied for not just being like a fat kid, but just being like an Iranian furry, anything but regular kid in my school. And it did really make me like suppress a lot of memory. So that's why I was like, how do you remember this? Cause it seemed like you struggled with a lot too, but I bet if I really dug in and like went through pictures and notes that it would bring that out of me, but I, maybe it's just part of me doesn't want it to, <laughs> but that is so relatable being the weird queer kid and just discovering humor and using that as your like ultimate defense eventually, at least. Yeah. For me. I mean, I, I also would say on that, you know, I had like so much shame as a kid and felt like I was so unattractive and awful. And I hear you that maybe you wouldn't want to go and rediscover those memories. Obviously, life is a choose your own adventure. But <laughs> yeah. in my experience of working so, de so deliberately to like recall mm -hmm. the way that it felt to be the kid and then like to look at the photos, remember the stories, I like my younger self a lot more than I did prior to writing this book because the shame that I felt about myself I mean I actually was like wait I was kind of awesome like I, I really had a different experience encountering myself as a as a young kid like if I met this kid who was like you know running around in like red jeans with like a bowl cut and really into whittling my own bows and arrows in the backyard. Like if I met the child <laughs> that is in the photos, I would not make fun of that kid. I would be like, you're rad. Like, yeah. You know, that's the, the really popular kid who is like, you know, super svelte and wearing the right clothes. Like, I don't mean to say that, that that there's anything wrong with that person, but I think just as an adult, I would have less room in my heart for, like, I'd just be like, cool, all right, gotcha. But like, if I met me, I would be like, oh my God, like, yeah. you know, I would just really like myself. And I didn't know that before writing this. Yeah. Like, I wonder if you think about what you're talking about, especially like, I hear you about something like body hair, like that is such a, like, that is such a humiliating experience. That's one of the, like... Having an atypical amount of body hair, having a body that doesn't slim a certain way, like like it doesn't, you don't get long and leggy, having like boobs or having no boobs, like being on those ends of the spectrum, like those are all things that are like so universally just humiliating experiences. Yeah. I, I just really wonder if you like met that kid, if, if you think you would like. That. I think probably now, yeah. Especially seeing where those kids are at now. I mean, I do have to admit, I'm still a little obsessed with my childhood bullies. Like, I still know their full <sighs> names. So I did look up Kevin Matthews recently. <laughs> and yeah, it does often end up not that great for them. I mean, not to 
bully my childhood <laughs> bullies on the podcast and say they peaked in the fifth grade, but I do often feel great about how I ended up, at least in contrast. But in reading your book, it was so relatable how you described, you know, moving your body to make up for the way your eyes came across in photos. It reminded me of how I would strategically pose whether or not it was for a photo or not with the not so hairy side of my arms kind of facing out at all times, just, you know, arms outstretched oh, no matter what the occasion. I hear uh, it was so Kelly. sad. Um, but I do look back now and think, you know, look at her being creative. <laughs> yeah. You know, also like, I mean, I guess that's, that's like exactly what I'm saying is that number one, be, look at her being creative, but like, I just feel like because I, we all love an underdog story. That's like a part of life because right. I think we all sometimes feel like underdogs. So we love an underdog story. So like, you know, you're, you're an adult, you're like visiting a fifth grade classroom or whatever. And you see that like somebody who's like presenting as a girl, like one of the girls has like a mustache. Like in my mind, I would just be like, I fucking get it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I would be like, you like are, mm -hmm. look at you showing up to school and like fucking trying your best. And like, I know how hard this is. You know, that would just be my favorite kid. Yeah. And I, and I just, I really, I really. Yeah, totally. I don't know. I was like, oh, I would be my own favorite kid. That made me feel great. Yeah. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. That's interesting. I, I mean, I know for, for me... Too. I got into comedy a little bit later, but when I finally decided to, to do comedy, I think that was when I realized or I let myself love my younger self because that's who I was like as a kid, as a teen, being creative, creating all the time, making videos, joking around, whatever. And then I got away from that. And now I'm trying to be like more like that weird queer kid, <laughs> like any chance I get. I'm like, man, that kid was was cool, weird, but but pretty awesome. I love that. And another thing, you know, a, a big theme in your book is about growing up Catholic. I also grew up Catholic. And uh, one thing I was curious about 
for you that I know is a thing a lot of queer kids go to is dabbling in witchcraft. And is that something <laughs> that you ever... I, I confess to my priest that I was like learning tarot and like casting oh my God. spells with candles and stuff. I went to confession to talk about it. Uh, but I was like so, so drawn to that stuff. And uh, so many queer women I know were like, yes, I also dabbled in witchcraft. <laughs> um, first of all, I just want you to know, I would not have approached that with like a ton of judgment. Like I would have been like, we all get to choose our own paths but I would have thought that you were going to hell. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I would have been like, and that's fine. You know, like it's okay for her. Like, I did love the movie, the craft eventually when I watched that in high school. Um, but I no, couldn't have been further from like, I had Channing Nicholas on my podcast talking about her recent book. That's like all about astrology. And I, I was the wrong person to do that interview because she was like, and I'll read your chart. And I was literally like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Like, I just missed it. I yeah. missed this whole, like, part of queerness. Like, I have fully missed it. No, I was like, Catholicism doesn't make any sense. I'll yeah. dive deeper into it to see if I can find, like, I'll drill down to see if I can find the thing that makes more sense. You know, like, I tried that. I was too. running toward it. Yeah. I, I tried that, too, in terms of, like, I went to a retreat at, in, like, Steubenville, Ohio, and I, but I felt like such a freak. I'm like, everyone here, like, sincerely loves Jesus, and I do not. <laughs> and I'm, like, singing the songs, and I'm doing the hand motions, and I don't get it. <laughs> oh, I sincerely loved Jesus. Yeah? Absolutely. 100% loved Mary. I I like, loved Mary. Loved praying. Yeah. <laughs> I loved, I mean, I was an altar server. So it's like a priest assistant. You yeah. Wear, love to wear the like whole, um, you wear like a cassock, you wear like a, you know, that dress thing right. and then a rope belt and you carry a cross, like loved it, loved fasting between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, like fully had like little bottles of holy water in my bedroom, you know, like, I mean, I was deep. Yeah. Okay. Deep (laughs) into it. Like would not have turned to witchcraft in a million years. Like didn't even know that anybody was actually Jewish. You know what I mean? Like just like that Catholic. Yeah. I wasn't raised with religion, but I did want to be Catholic because I just desperately wanted to fit in. You know, there's, there are a bunch of opportunities to really feel like you fit in if you're that Catholic. Because there's ritual, you know. Right. There's so much. I mean, the stuff that I was actually doing. Do you know what the Stations of the Cross are? I mean, I do. Melody. No. no. Do you know what I'm talking about, Melody? No. So there's like 12 stations, um, which are usually depicted as like a sculpture or could be a stained glass window that show the progression of Jesus's like walk to be crucified. Um, crucified. And so they're like, one of them is he encounters a person who hands him a cloth to wipe his face on. He wipes his face on the cloth and then his image appears on the cloth as he gives it back to her. Or there's one where he's brutally whipped. And when we were children there, we would, you do them, you do the stations of the cross. And I don't mean like that you go watch adults do them at my grade school, you know, people would be like, acting it out you know you walk through and it's like these are the kids that are whipping the other kid now we'll go to the next one 
this is the kid who's like <laughs> sticking the spear into the side of the other kid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, oh and God, that's like part that's, of the school day. You know, we like go, it'd be like the stations of the cross. It's like a real honor. You go over there, you're like, I'm Jesus at the eighth station or whatever. And then like, you know, then there's also the people persecuting him or whatever. And that's like, that's just like all part of it. It's just like, it is, Catholicism is so fucking eerie and like. That's nuts. Yeah. And morbid. Well, so morbid. Especially because I didn't go to Catholic school, but I went, I mean, I got confirmed. I went to religion uh, classes every week. And uh, there's, there's one point where they have someone tell you about the stations of the cross like once they think you're you're old enough and they tell you the most gory version of it and they tell you like the thorns were like not these little baby thorns they were like three inches long and blood was constantly streaming down jesus's face and it's like the most brutal (laughs) like they really want you to know that homeboy suffered uh for your your sins which you're sneaking around making out in your girlfriend's car. <laughs> yeah, y'all are lighting candles and really, really <laughs> upsetting Jesus and look through what all... I mean, even just a crucifix, which is in, you know, every Catholic school, like every right. room of every Catholic, every classroom, it took me a while to realize that's like a... That's a man being executed. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's just torture right the there. Yeah. yeah. Yes, just right there on the wall next to the milk. yeah. <laughs> you know, that you're like getting for lunch. <laughs> so w- with being so religious, uh, another common theme I would say uh, of queer people I know is that we never, at, at least like compared to other girls who are my friends, like I never uh, fantasized about my wedding. I never got into this whole, like, I'm going to wear a wedding dress and this is how I picture my wedding. Like that wasn't even a thing for me because I just could never imagine myself marrying a man but if you're like so catholic and that's like that's one of the sacraments right did you have those fantasies about i mean i I think that in some ways you and i have some overlapping experience there i don't know that i imagined what my own wedding would look like i knew that for at least throughout high school i was saving myself for marriage which is like part of the double entendre meaning of the title my sister, my older sister, got married in the same church that my grandparents got married in, which has a stained glass window that was donated by members of my grandparents' family that has our name in it. Oh, wow. Like, in the window. So I did see somebody have the wedding that, like, maybe I would have imagined. But I, for me, you know, when I got married, I felt like it was like, something I was creating from scratch and it really was this ideal version of what I thought it would be, you know, got married in a rock club and served hot dogs and (laughs) had this feeling that felt really me um, and that felt really us. And then I still found that even in creating this new path, you know, when that marriage ended, I had a lot of Catholic infused feelings about divorce oh so you know yeah you can't get it out it's like even if you're remaking the marriage you know even if you're remaking the ceremony even if you don't get married in the church with the window even if you're you know queer as fuck there's still there's going to be some moment where like that shit rears its head you know yeah inescapable yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely, the guilt, like even being what I would call Catholic light, uh, <laughs> like just going, going to church every Sunday, the, the guilt associated with, with that man. Yeah. You know, growing up, the, the kids in my class yeah. whose parents had divorced, you know, the kids in my school classes whose parents were divorced, first of all, it was very few kids. Yeah. They had to go to like a separate outreach program, which felt like a punishment. It was called Rainbows. It was after school. And, you know, it was like announced if you were in Rainbows. Yeah. So it was like, it was like humiliating, like for, ch- for the children, you know, and by the way, it, be, divorce is not allowed in the Catholic church. Right. You, so... Their parents were then the only thing that is possible is annulment, which yeah. is like if the church says you were never married to begin with. So that's like the best case because it means you're not like immediately going to hell or whatever. It just means you were never married to begin with. But then that puts the kids in this very strange situation of my parents were never married to begin with, which is also a sin. Right. So, so like that is the environment, you know, that I was whatever, a sixth grader in. And I had, you know, one of my best friends who's still one of my close friends, parents were divorced. And so like, I watched her go through this, you know, her parents are sinners and then she's a sin, the product of a sin. I mean, it was just like, so then, you know, it turns out you're 37 and it's, you know, however many years later, 25 years later, whatever it is. and that's not, not with you, yeah. you know, we're still part of that. It's. It's crazy to me too because my my uncle who performed my first wedding he's Catholic and him and his wife still go to church but he's also divorced so that's his second wife so I'm like the church doesn't even recognize your marriage and then you performed my gay marriage and you're still yeah, like I mean, in this it would feel to me like a lot of folks there's that phrase cafeteria Catholic. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's yeah, like where you yeah, pick yeah. and choose the things that you believe in. Sure. And it's it's more true for Catholics than say like usually evangelical Christians. Usually yeah. evangelical Christians are like they follow the law to the letter, but like for Catholics it's like, mm, I pick this thing and this thing. Like I'm hardcore pro life, but then I also like don't give a shit if people around me are divorced. Yeah. And it's it's I think that that's one thing that's so confusing to me about people who are still like ethnically Catholic is like y'all do know that you're supporting a harmful organization, right? Like yeah. it's cool if it makes you, if it's fun for you to go to church on Christmas. Yeah. But like there are like real effects Yeah. to the doctrine that you're like, you know, Christmas Eve mass is supporting. Yeah. Anyway, I don't have strong opinions about it at all. I could, I like could, <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I, guess I could take her leave. <laughs> Sorry, Melody, who uh, didn't grow up with with religion. I went from wanting to talk about being little gay kids to I know scars <laughs> of Catholicism that um, I know I'm learning a lot. You know, one thing I want to talk about too when we're kids, kind of like celebrity crushes, because some of the ones you mention in in your book we had in common. But I I was very obsessed with Madonna uh, as a child, and she made <sighs> Catholicism seem like this like sexy thing that was like both bad and good and like complicated. So I really like was into her relationship with Catholicism. And I think like that's maybe what allowed me to go and do witchcraft. But uh, you did mention having pictures of Claire Danes and Alicia Silverstone on your wall. And I feel like they're just some like universal queer crushes. And I think Claire Danes is for sure one of them. Yeah. One thing that I, 
found out pretty recently, like within the last year, is that my so-called life was only one season. Yes. Is that not insane? To revisit that emotionally, I, that's not, that's not true. Yeah. It's actually just not true. Right. Um, (laughs) But I did a couple years ago, I got to do stand up and um, Wilson Cruz, who played Ricky Vasquez. Yeah. Like in the front row. My Ah. God. One thing I love is not necessarily like meeting, you know, heroes or people that were really impactful in my life because there's always that weird moment of like, you have no context for me. We're at a weird part. Like I wouldn't, like, I just will leave. Like I'm not going to, I'm not like an approaching people and like thanking them. Like I just, I feel so weird. And, but when, if I get to perform for somebody, that's such a different vibe. Cause I'm like, look, this is my thing, you know, and it makes me feel like, um, (laughs) they have context for me. And so that was a personal highlight. Still think about it. Wilson, peace sign, buddy, (laughs) real privilege. Thank you so much at this weird time. This has been a delight. Yeah, thank you so much. And especially while you're playing nurse. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I need to go bleach my entire house. Once a day, I bleach my entire house. And then inevitably my outfit, because I'm actually just not careful enough to be handling bleach. Like, that's I shouldn't have that job ever. <laughs> what do you want to tell our listeners about Save Yourself and what they might get out of reading it? Or I think it's funny. It is. <laughs> and I think it's also hopefully like a personal but helpful distraction. So I would say like, I read the audiobook. If you're looking for some company right now, I love mm. audiobooks. I think they're a really good company. I would really recommend that. And I also would say, if you want to buy a copy of the book, which would also be amazing, doing so through your indie bookseller would be my preference because most indie booksellers are still shipping, even if they're not open they are connected to their warehouses and they're still shipping and it's and it doesn't seem right now to be an undue burden on the shipping system. I just mentioned this because like it's one tiny thing that we can do to keep local businesses open. Yes. For sure. And so um like listening to the audiobook for some company, like I I so hope that that's helpful. And then also buying it through indie booksellers. That's what I've been recommending for folks to do. And I, I so hope that y'all continue to do that. And then, you know, for you two, do you have are, are you do you have income right now? <laughs> nope. Through my wife. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do, are there is there a way folks can support the podcast like financially? Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys can always support us through through Patreon and all that good stuff, but but for for your book though, reviews, is that what's the best place to leave a review for the book? I always say Goodreads. Goodreads, Goodreads okay. is a great place to leave a review. Yeah. Great. But also, I mean, if if you're feeling like fuck you. I don't want to use an indie bookseller. I want to order everything at once from Amazon. That also is really helpful and awesome. So yeah, that's order better it on than Amazon nothing. and leave a review there. Right. Yeah. And it's also actually like really helpful. Like yeah. Amazon is a great place that people stumble upon things. Okay. So the, the action points are join your Patreon. That's the number <laughs> one way to support this book. Thank you, Cameron. Um, the number two way to support the book is <laughs> buy it however you want to on any platform. It's also an ebook. Yes. Um, and the number three way to support the book is just doing deep breathing exercises in your own homes. Yes. As much as you can. Like I understand your lungs might be affected. So just as much, as much breathing as possible to stay calm. Awesome. Thank you so much. I, uh, I'm excited for this all to be over for your girlfriend to be feeling better for you to be back on tour doing your thing, because I know a lot of, even a lot of our listeners mentioned that they were 
going to come see you in New York when you were here. And uh, hopefully that will all be rescheduled and life will be back to some form of normalcy. But thank you again for spending your time and for for writing this great book, which has given us a lot of laughs and a lot of trips down memory lane. Yeah. Thank you, Cameron. And thank you for Feminine Comique and for, thank you for Coles. Thank you for comedy. I'm having a big smile. Thank you. <laughs> That's really so lovely. I really appreciate it. And I'm hoping to be back touring in the fall. You know, that that's, yeah. I think, an option. We'll see. But, you know, if not, we'll figure out how to keep doing our stuff. I've already started, like, doing some short spots on Instagram Live when I'm asked to do them. And so I'm hoping that that's maybe even a possibility before the fall doing like a full hour somewhere digitally, just like, or virtually or whatever. Um, yeah. So look for that too. And if you ever find yourself in New York, the last Monday of the month, we have a sold out show at the Stonewall Inn. That is a crazy time. And you always have a spot if you're in town. Thank you. You lovely people. I so appreciate you. That was so cool to finally talk to Cameron. That was very cool to talk to one of the reasons I got into comedy. Did I come off like a super fan? No, you. I mean, I, I thought it was very natural. You know, I didn't mention it because I was like, great to meet you. But I've met Cameron before. I just knew she probably had no recollection of it, even though I did oh, give her. Same. Yeah, I gave her a diking out pin uh, and asked her to do the podcast. It was after a show she did about a year ago in Brooklyn. And it was just kind of like an awkward meeting because I'm like, well, I'm I'm like a stand-up comedian too. And like I perform here and it's weird waiting in a line of like super fans. And then you're going to meet me and think that I'm a super fan. Like, of course, like I like Cameron Esposito, you know, but like, yeah, she's more of like a peer to us. Right. But she doesn't know that because she doesn't know us. So, <laughs> so it was just like this very awkward exchange of me being like, hi, I have this. I'm also comedian podcast pin. Be our guest. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) That time after a show is uncomfortable for everyone, for the performer, for the peers of the performers, who the performer might not know is a peer, and also for the fans. It's just such a weird little dance after the show. I remember waiting at Dyke the Halls to talk to you after just to say hi and like, great job. But I was already standing in a like line that was forming to talk to you. So I felt like I was lumped in as a big super fan, Susan. (laughs) And little did everyone know that you'd be on stage with me next year when we dike the halls. (laughs) Maybe you'll line up to say hi to me next Christmas. Yeah. You can co-host dike the halls and then finally get that Christmas wish you've always wanted. You can celebrate Christmas with a real fallen Catholic. Finally, it's because as close as you'll get to Catholicism is a dyke themed holiday show <laughs> with somebody out. who no longer believes in Catholicism and all it entails. I'll take it. Oh man. Well, if you're not already Susan's, you can also, that was very nice of Cameron to ask us to plug our Patreon. She didn't even plug where you can find her, but Cameron Esposito on all social media, check it out. She's very active. She's very funny and definitely a very uh, important queer comedian in this space so check her out that was a lot of fun melody what do you say we get to our listener question let's do it 
This week's question, I've been dating my girlfriend for seven months now. She's 16 and I'm 18. And I don't know how to explain to her that I want to try having an open relationship. I told her the subject once and she immediately tried to avoid it, even though she herself had one but broke it off with the dude a few weeks later. I'm just thinking that it's unfair towards me that I've let her try an open relationship, but she won't let me have one. I currently like two other women as well, and they also like me back. I just feel extremely guilty to lead them on while I'm with someone who won't let me explore. Should I talk to her about doing an open relationship or just break up with her? Or should I try to fix the relationship and only be with her? Break up with her. That's break it. up with her. That is our long-standing advice <laughs> that applies to a lot of co- no um, for a variety of reasons. One, it sounds interesting that you guys had an open relationship, but it was only open. It seems like for you, open relationships are only open for one person at a time, which you know, to to each their own. I remember tragically uh, when I had one of my first long-term. Uh, very toxic relationships. And I suggested once that we open up the relationship, but only on my girlfriend's end uh, because she had, I know, I know this is, uh, you know, I had issues. So my, my ex had cheated on me repeatedly. I broke up with them. And then during that time we were broken up, I was single and seeing other people. And then we got back together And my girlfriend at the time had like a lot of anger and resentment that I had been dating other people while we were broken up and it was causing all these fights. And I'm like, you know what? If you want to go and hook up with other people right now, fine, go and do that. Maybe they'll make you feel better and like stop being angry. So angry at me. (laughs) And it was stupid. Like every sign was like, what you shouldn't be in this relationship. So like I'm, Speaking to you, Susan, from this, having had this experience where, like, things are clearly wrong and it's it's not a good relationship to, to be in. Yet when we're young, we think we have to try to make everything work. And you don't. Look, you, you already like two other people. And maybe you're somebody who, like, polyamory is right for you. And that's going to be something that sticks with you. Or this just like isn't the the right person because you already like two other people. So it's not like there's no reason to hold on to this re- relationship, especially if she's 16, you know, s- set her free. It sounds like she doesn't know what she wants. Breakups suck. They're hard, uh, even when it's not right. But just get out of there and, and go on a, a date or start a thruple with these other two. <laughs> yeah. Once the quarantine is over. Once the quarantine, once the quarantine I will say is that over. We are backlogged with emails. So this one came back in like February. So this person had no idea. This person, well, based on their ages, I don't think they're quarantined together. If her <laughs> girlfriend's 16, yeah. her girlfriend's stuck at her parents. Now's a great time to break up with her break up (laughs) that is my advice it's the easiest time to break up with someone right now you're quarantined okay yeah it's it's never been easier to have I mean as long as you're not quarantined with them but yeah oh yeah 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 as long as you're not living with them and at 16 and 18 it's it's a tale of two quarantines uh if you're quarantined with your partner it's the worst time to break up if you're not quarantined with your partner best time to break up yeah 
And if you're in law school, best time to go into divorce law. After these quarantines, you're going to have a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. So speaking of the backlog, we do have some people who have questions and they need more immediate answers. And that's why we signed up for this program called Wizio, wizio.com slash diking out. And you can pay some monies and we'll take those monies and record a personalized video for you giving our advice um, up to seven minutes long to your specific request. So it can be as long as you want. Give us all the details and then we will tell it to you uh, how we see it. We'll be honest. We'll be thoughtful. We got a, a five-star review for our first one. So I think we're, we're on the right track. So again, if you need a, a quicker fix and you're, and you're not a patron, you can always go to wizio.com slash out. And if you're a patron on Patreon, you rise to the top of the list of questions. Uh, but then still, sometimes you might have to wait. But that's patreon.com slash out. Or if you want to just send us a tip during these hard times, you can go to paypal.me slash out. And that's uh, another way to support the pod. Hope you guys are all hanging in there and being safe and healthy and happy and taking care of your your mental health you can follow me at tgi carolyn and follow the podcast at diking out and you can follow me at melody kamali please stay safe susans we'll see you next time bye 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 Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.